And while they're distributing those books, one, let me welcome you, one and all, to the beginning of our series, Where is God When It Hurts? And let me just uh, cover a few announcements very quickly, and then uh, those, hopefully the notebooks will be distributed by, by that time. But we have this afternoon, for those that are members of our church, at 2.30, we have our quarterly, what we call family meeting, that's a congregational meeting, to just cover the status of where we are, including financially, but also some things that we're planning to do uh, in the fall and for the remainder of the year. We're normally done in an hour, and I see no reason that won't be the case today. We don't have a whole lot to cover. But if you're a member of our church and you're able to make it this afternoon, 2.30 is our family meeting. And then the one week from today is what we call Ordinance Sunday. And next Sunday then, we are going to observe the two ordinances, the two commands that Christ gave to his church to follow that he exemplified. Uh, he both instituted the Lord's table that we call communion. That's the first of those ordinances. And then also he was baptized and commands his followers to be baptized. So in following him and in obedience to his command, we observe the Lord's table, communion, and baptism. We call those ordinances. And so next week is Ordinance Sunday. In the 9.30 hour, the entirety of that hour will be devoted to uh, the observance of communion. Those are always very meaningful services for us. And if you can be here, I encourage you to do so. And baptism will happen in the afternoon at 5 o'clock. And the reason we don't have it at the same time is because we want to transform this room into a place for a celebration dinner. So in the afternoon, there will be tables and chairs set up in here. And when you come at 5 o'clock tomorrow, then, or next Sunday, then this will be set up for the dinner following the baptism. So at 5 o'clock, we'll have the baptisms. And then after that, we will have a celebration dinner as a, an encouragement to those who, who were baptized. So we encourage all of you to plan to come for that. I think right now we have six or seven people uh, being, being baptized, and we want to encourage those folks in this spiritual milestone. So if you can come, do that. That's uh, next Sunday at uh, 5 o'clock. Then the rest of the stuff that's coming up, those are the immediate things, but take a look in your program. Uh, they're all listed there. Does everybody have a notebook who wants one? Anybody not have a notebook? Denny and Wanda need and and. So who's the guys with the notebooks? Anybody have notebooks? We're out of, we're out of notebooks? All right. All right, so uh, people who don't care about this class, Sharon's giving hers up. So <laughs> Sharon says, you can have mine. I'm not going to look at it anyway. So, <laughs> so I think uh, the guys will probably, as I speak, are probably printing more. I'm sorry to the three or four of you who raised your hand. I think they will get uh, notebooks to you. There's some more being printed? All right, cool. Well, if you will take, those of you who have them, if you'll take a look at the very first introductory page where it says Course Description. Those of you who were here last week know that we had a preview of this series, and I went over the topics to be covered uh, in some detail. The entirety of this time was spent doing that. So I'm not going to redo that uh, to relieve those of you who may fear that. I'm going to have to hear this again. Uh, I'm not doing that again. Those of you who were not here last week, if you care to listen to that, all of our messages, both from our Worship Hour and Discovering God Hour, are on our website, so you can listen to that. But I did want to point out something I didn't uh, get to last week, and that is the recommended resources on that first introductory and second introductory pages. And those recommended resources are uh, identified for you, annotated with the most highly recommended and then also uh, the uh, level of, of difficulty. Each one is noted as a one or a two or a three as level of difficulty. The ones that are most highly recommended have an asterisk next to them, 
the first two on the first introductory page, Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God, has uh, an asterisk. That's a very easy to read and very helpful book. And I think we have some copies of that in our resource center. So if you stop by there, uh, you can pick one up. And if we run out or we don't have them, they can get some for you this week. Ask them to do that. Uh, D.A. Carson's book, How Long, O Lord? And then if you look on the next page, you have some others that have the asterisk for others. One by John Frame. So if you have an apologetic bent, that is, somebody who likes to defend the faith and likes to know how best to defend the faith against charges, and one of those charges is the so-called problem of evil, he has a helpful discussion of that issue in his book, uh, uh, in his book, Apologetics to the Glory of God, and he has a chapter on that. And then John Piper, a bit further down, has two books that are highly recommended. One of those is available for free uh, as a PDF, you see, if you go to desiringgod.org. And then down at the very bottom, a book, What's What's Good About Feeling Bad? And I found that to be a very helpful resource as well. With that then, if you will turn to the very first lesson, section one, The Pain of Suffering, and this particular lesson titled, The Perils of Pain. And you see at the top of page one, after the key passages, we have an example from the life of one Nathan Sowers. Let me briefly tell you what that story regarding Nathan Sowers is, is about. It's a true story of a uh, couple, Dave and Teresa Sowers, who, uh, after they were married, were blessed with a, a first child. And that first child was very healthy and uh, a blessing to them. And they looked forward to the birth of their, their second child. And sure enough, Teresa became pregnant with their, their second child. But as they went through the ultrasounds, uh, they discovered that there were some issues uh, developing uh, with, the, with the child. And the, uh, the doctor was not sure about the nature of those issues for their, their son. Uh, but it was of such concern that they had recommended doing an experimental surgery uh, while the baby is in the womb. And the results of that were going to be quite unpredictable. But uh, rather than take the option, which is really not an, an ethical option, to abort the baby, uh, or they did not want to do nothing and hope for the best, they decided to go along with the, the surgery. The surgery was done, and to everyone's uh, delight, it appeared that the, the surgery was successful. The tests that were run subsequent to that uh, showed good signs, and indeed she was able to carry the baby uh, to term, have the baby, and uh, the baby was, was, was healthy. But then after just a couple of years, Nathan, they named him Nathan because that name means gift from God, Nathaniel. And uh, Nathaniel uh, began to develop uh, problems, kidney problems. And as a result of those kidney problems, was in and out of the doctor and in and out of the, of the hospital. They had to search for a donor. It turned out that dad, Dave, was a, a perfect match. And uh, the uh, transplant was actually... Uh, 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 performed. They were able to, uh, they were able to do that uh, amazing uh, transplant and didn't know how successful it was going to be, but lo and behold, uh, it was. And everyone was rejoicing and praising God, and it was just a matter of being in for a few days for everybody to recover, and then uh, they would be home. And uh, after a few days after the surgery, uh, Teresa 
uh, or excuse me, the pastor of their church received a call from Teresa. And he could tell that something had changed in her voice. And they said that uh, Nathaniel has taken a turn for the worse, and they don't expect him to, to make it. And uh, after uh, less than 24 hours, Nathaniel was, was taken. He was, he was gone. So all of these high hopes, incredibly high hopes, after all of this roller coaster of emotions, and then at a young age, this, uh, this young man is, is taken from them tragic story, and it's the kind of story that can happen to anyone because pain and suffering can happen to us in all shapes and sizes and can happen to us suddenly. And so uh, that is what happened to the, the Sowers family. And they experienced some of what we have on pages one and two for you in your notes, the realities of, of suffering. When you hear a story like that, and perhaps some of you have experienced something similar or are going through something similar now, when you hear a story like that, what are the questions that go on in your, in your mind? Well, some of those questions that may be in your mind may be related to these realities. The first one is this, that suffering is universal. Until modern times, suffering was assumed to be a constant of life. Today, with improvements in medicine, radical advances in technology, and significant progress in so many fields of knowledge, suffering has come to be seen as an anomaly. Nevertheless, the signature of suffering is written on every human heart. So we tend to think of suffering in our day and age as an exception, and that's actually a blessing because it is a testimony to the advances that we've been able to enjoy. I mentioned last week in our preview that if, though, the world in which we live is a fallen, sinful world, and that one of the results of the fall in the entrance of sin into God's good world is sickness and disease and, and suffering, and it is, if that's the case, then it ought to be the rule rather than the exception that we go through these, these things. Who needs a notebook? You have some more, Larry? Anybody, uh, everybody get one? Here's one right here. Anybody else need a notebook? Suffering should be the rule rather than the exception in life in a, a fallen world. And yet we are blessed by the common grace of God, but also in that common grace, the advances of technology, to see suffering as the exception rather than the rule. So one of those realities that we need to grapple with is that suffering is universal, and the fact that it is not the norm is actually a blessing of God. Because in a sinful world, by rights, it could and should be the norm. Related to that as well is something that I said last week, which is when we go through suffering of whatever type, we immediately ask ourselves, why me? Why did this, why did this happen? And one of the answers we're tempted to give to that question, why me? Why did this happen? Is because I did something in particular to deserve this. And we need to put that to rest because God does not act uh, in a lex talionis in reverse. Should I explain what, the, what I just said? Lex talionis means the law of retaliation. And many of you know it from the first part of your Bible as an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I explained last week that actually more than uh, and better than retaliation, God gave that as a protection in the criminal justice system of Israel so that the punishments that were meted out fit the crime. 
So you only take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You don't have these extraordinary and cruel punishments for lesser offenses. But it's called the law of retaliation, Latin term for law of retaliation, lex talionis. But some of us have one kind of in reverse, that God operates according to a one-for-one. One. You do this, you're going to be punished with something. So when something bad happens, I immediately begin to look for whatever the thing was that I did. But that's contrary to what the scriptures teach in a few places. One is in the book of Job. Many of you are familiar with the book of Job, and Job makes very clear in that story, God does in that story, that Job had done nothing to warrant the things that had happened to him. In fact, the refrain in that book is that in all of this, Job did not sin. And in the very first chapter, Job is identified as a righteous man, a blameless man before the Lord, and it recounts all of the things that he did because of his love for the Lord, both himself and uh, for his, his family. And we are given a glimpse in chapter 1 of Job of the behind the scenes that went on that Job knew nothing about. He was simply afflicted with all of these severe problems, physical problems himself, loss of his property, and then loss of his family. He was afflicted with all of that. He was afflicted with all of it in short order, and he didn't know why. But we know why by reading chapter 1, and that was that Satan, the accuser, had challenged God. And Satan had said to God, people only serve you because you protect them, because of the things you give to them. If you remove that protection, then he will curse you. And that challenge was, was met. And the end of that book is Job praising God uh, rather than, than cursing him because indeed he loved the giver more than just the gifts. So the book of Job teaches very directly that if you suffer a particular thing, it is not because you've done a particular thing. We all suffer because we are sinners, yes, and live in a sin-cursed world, a fallen world, but there is not a one-for-one, a lex talionis in reverse. John chapter 9 in your Bible, John 9 teaches the same thing. There a man was brought to Jesus who had been blind from birth. And those who brought the man to Jesus asked this question, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? The assumption in their question is somebody sinned, there's a one-for-one, one. somebody did this, therefore that happened, there's a cause and effect, so the question is who, who caused this effect, this man or his, his parents? And Jesus then corrected that thinking, and he said neither this man nor his parents, but that the glory of God might be manifest in him, and then Jesus went on to, to heal that man. So suffering is universal. It happens to all of us. And when it happens to all of us, all of us have that tendency to ask, why is this particular thing happening to me? And sometimes things happen to us simply because suffering is universal and we live in a fallen world with all of its fallen effects. So reality number one, when something, particularly something traumatic happens to us, is we ask that question, why did this happen? And it may just be because suffering is universal. Secondly, suffering is painful. The second reality we need to grasp is that suffering is painful. There's nothing more central to the human experience than our capacity to feel, and no aspect of this is as deep as our capacity to suffer. To some degree, every person has experienced a wound or a hurt. Yet as frequent as physical and emotional pain seem to be, we react as if trouble is unexpected 
and alien uh, to our lives. But suffering is painful and it is universal. You couple those together, then we should not be surprised that we feel it, whether physically uh, or emotionally. In fact, the word trauma, we use the word trauma. The word trauma means a wound. So we've all been wounded, which means then, in, in turn, we've all had traumatic, wound, wounded experiences, emotionally and, and physically. Third reality is that suffering is, is personal. And what we're saying there is this, is that the way we experience pain when it happens to us differs. So there's not a one-size-fits-all way to address the suffering that we have. There are common truths that we are going to be reminded of in this series, but we suffer differently because we're different. And those differences come from both our nature, as you all have heard me say a number of times, our personalities, our God-given nature, but also our nurture, our experiences, our environment, the way we were brought up. The things that have happened to us in the past affect the way we handle the things that happen to us in the present and in, and in the future. And so our suffering is, is personal. And so if you are suffering in a different way than someone else you know, and perhaps it's more prolonged for you than someone that you have known in a similar circumstance, and you feel guilty about that, you shouldn't necessarily feel guilty about it. You're different people, and we each experience suffering in different ways. But notice this fourth reality. Suffering is unnerving. These seemingly cruel circumstances often leave us feeling stunned and blindsided, and we experience a shock to the system, a laceration of the soul, a wound of the spirit. Despite our attempts to devise a world where we can predict, contrive, and control the outcome, we find that our best efforts most often fail, and we're reminded once again that life is beyond our control. It's unnerving because we're not in the driver's seat, and that and pain and things that happen to us remind us of that. And often that pain and things that happen to us happen to us quickly out of nowhere. And when that happens, it's all the more unnerving. So I want to allude to a passage in the Bible that tells us about this. If you have a Bible and you want to juggle that with your notebook, you can, or you can just uh, jot this passage down and I will quote it for you. But it's James chapter 1 and verse 2. James 1 and verse 2. James 1, 2. Many of you are familiar with James 1, 2 that says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into trials of various kinds. Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you fall into trials of various kinds. Now, short verse that is packed with meaning and actually encapsulates many of these first four realities that we've, we've talked about, including the unnerving piece. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you fall into trials of various kinds. And Some of you have heard me say over the years that that short verse contains four very important things about difficult circumstances that happen in our lives. Four. Here they are. The first one is that trials are unplanned. Trials are unplanned. Trials are unplanned. Why do I say that? Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when, not if, you fall into various trials. So these things happen to us, and it's not a matter of if they're going to happen, it's when they happen. And in fact, in the NIV it says whenever. 
So they can happen at any time. They're unplanned. So they are unplanned, and then they are secondly unavoidable. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face or when you fall into trials of various kinds. When it says when you face or when you fall, it's the same word that was used in a parable that Jesus told of a man who was traveling and who, and this is what Jesus said, he fell among thieves. So the idea is this, this traveler is going along, minding his own business, and then he faces this difficulty of being robbed, beaten and robbed. He falls into this, this trial. So he just kind of stumbles into it. And that's what James is saying here, is that these trials are inevitable. They're, they're unplanned. They happen whenever. And they happen to everybody. It's, it's when, not if. But then we fall into them. We face them. We're just going on in life, and they happen. So trials, according to James 1-2, are unplanned, they are unavoidable, and they are, here's the third thing, they are unwanted, unwanted. And that's why they're called trials. They try us. And most often, they are painful. Now, as you read later in James chapter 1, you'll find that sometimes the trial can actually be something that otherwise would be a good thing, and God is trying us with that good thing. But most often these trials are painful things that are unwanted. No one would ask for them. No one would ask for this traumatic thing to happen, this tragedy to occur. But God allows them into our lives for his purposes that we'll see in just a bit. So four things about our suffering. They, these trials, they are unplanned and they are unavoidable. They are unwanted. And then lastly, they're unlimited, unlimited. Unlimited. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you fall into trials, and then it says, of various kinds. They're unlimited in their shapes and varieties. They come in the form of circumstances, that is, situations that face us, a health issue, a financial issue, a job issue. But sometimes that circumstance, that situation is a relational issue as well. So the variety may mean I've got a troublesome person in my life. Somebody who is giving me difficulty or for whatever reason uh, we are estranged from one another and to this point we've been unable to be reconciled. So it may be a situation, it may be a relationship, but James is simply saying they come in various forms, these trials. Now what is being tried? Here's how the first part of that verse can say, consider it joy when this happens. Because the next verse, verse 3, says this. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So how can I have joy? Not be happy about, certainly not be thrilled about, maybe quite sad about, but in the midst of that still have this abiding sense of delight that God is at work in my life. That's what biblical joy is. How can I have that abiding sense of delight that in the midst of even this difficulty, God is at work? How can I? Because you know something. That's what James says. What do you know? You know that the testing of your faith does something. 
The testing of your faith, James tells us, produces perseverance. And then goes on to talk about the things that flow from that. So James is saying, you should at all times and in all circumstances and in all relationships, even those that are adverse and difficult, know this, that even though these difficult circumstances are unplanned, they're unavoidable, they're unwanted, and they're unlimited in their variety, you should know that God has an ultimately good design in this. You know that the testing of your faith produces these good things. Now, what's being tested? Your faith. And nobody needs to speak up, raise your hand, but uh, I'm hoping that there are some people in our congregation who've been here for a while who know a synonym for faith because I say it a zillion times. In the New Testament, the Greek word that is translated faith is also translated belief. And in the verb form, believe. And so what is being tested? It is your faith, the testing of your faith, or to put it another way, the testing of Notice, of what you believe. And when we suffer, when we experience pain, what we really believe is put to the test, isn't it? Isn't it true, dear friends, that we can say we believe things when everything is going well? And then when things become very difficult, now whether I really believe, for example, God is good, do I really believe that? That is being tested. That God is in control, do I really believe that? That's being tested. So the testing of what you believe. And when you come out the backside of that test, then James says it produces these good things. Now, reality number five and and six, quickly. Reality number five, suffering is mysterious. Much like being in a disorienting maze, it's difficult to find one's way out of suffering, and the inescapability of the pain can be overwhelming. Although we yearn to feel normal again, we know that normalcy is forever lost. And so it's mysterious. It's, It's mysterious in the sense that I don't know how long it will be, I don't know precisely how the out, this good outcome that God promises that he has will come about or when it will come about, and therefore it's a mystery to me. I know these truths, and I have to remind myself to believe those truths, but the time frame and the circumstances in which God will bring about the fulfillment of those promises, that's all mysterious to me. And I said in the preview last week that God has this ability, though, to see every circumstance we're in through two lenses. And we only have one lens. God has a narrow lens where he sees the thing and the thing is painful and it's suffering and he can pronounce it as such in Scripture, and he does. But God then has the widest possible lens to see that thing in connection to all other things and what it is he's going to produce. And the mystery for us is we don't have the wide lens. Only God has the wide lens and therefore it's mysterious to us. And then lastly on page 2, suffering is biblical. God used suffering to perfect his son. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Jesus was was made perfect through suffering. In the cauldron of suffering, he was tested, but of course, the sinless son of God passed all those tests. Second, suffering teaches all of us obedience. Even the heroes of the faith like David and Abraham, along with apostles like Paul, experienced suffering. So those are the kinds of themes that we're going to explore in the weeks ahead. Now... 
In the few minutes we have left, let me do two things. One, apologize for starting at almost 11.30. We normally start at 11.15. We had some extra stuff in our first hour. I preached the same length I normally preach. I just didn't get up to preach at the same time I normally get up to preach, okay? You say, couldn't you make some adjustments? No, I couldn't, okay? <laughs> Sorry. So we got out later. We got in here later. We'll be in here, Lord willing, at 11.15 next week. So that's the first an apology. And then the, the second thing is I want to end our first session with a testimony, a testimony from a courageous sister in our church who the Lord has allowed to go through forms of suffering. And yet, to come out of those forms of suffering with a new understanding about herself and about, and about the Lord. And I want to end our time in this first session with that to give you all, all hope. The form of suffering you're going to hear about is going to be different than that for uh, most of you. But nevertheless, God is at work in all forms of suffering to produce the kinds of things that you're going to hear about. And so hope if you'll come. Depression, testimony of God's amazing grace. One of the reasons people suffer from depression and silence like I did is because of shame. You think you are the only one, that you are alone, but that is a lie. Of course, there are many reasons why people struggle with depression. For me, being a victim of physical, sexual, and verbal abuse as a child and into my young adulthood were major factors that led to my depression. I will later elaborate on this. Time alone or getting older does not cause these traumatic events or the results of them to just disappear. I struggled with depression on and off for years, but last year it reached a dangerous point. I realized I had not truly dealt with these traumatic events, and with God's help, I finally saw assistance from Pastor Ken, who did not look down on me, nor did he take my issues lightly, but quickly connected me to another sound biblical counselor. Through my counseling sessions, I became more aware of the prior things mentioned as well as other factors that triggered my depression. Being aware is huge and helped me to take the necessary steps that were given to either prevent an onset of depression or help it to not become debilitating. Some of the steps included reading God's word, which of course is vital, and initiating help from those who I have entrusted and who are committed to helping me in this basically my support group. So if I can't read the word, then I ask if the word can be read to me or a truth to be spoken to me or for prayer or for someone to come by. Honestly, just having people in my life who do not look at me like I am, I am crazy and who I can have a true friendship with where there is a mutual giving and receiving is majorly important to a person struggling with depression. And God in his answer to prayer has done this for me. This friendship is also important to a person who fears rejection if events of the past are revealed. This brings me back to the abusive experiences I mentioned beforehand. Suffering abuse caused me to carry a great amount of shame and guilt, not to mention physical and emotional stress, such as panic attacks and PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I have had to work through this and the lies that were so ingrained in me, such as my life means nothing, that it was my fault. I realized by believing these lies that I had developed a wrong view about God's character and how he views me. 
and therefore needed to repent and renew my mind in these areas. I have truly come to grasp that Christ dying for my sins and rising again proves my life is precious, precious to him, and that the sins others committed against me were just that, their sins, that my identity is not in what happened to me, but who I am in Christ. I also began to see that I had made a particular relationship an idol. I would put my father in God's place, and whatever my father thought of me would trump what God thought of me. I realized I was holding on to something that was never there, a relationship with my father, and I needed to let go. Not letting go of praying for him to know the Lord or respecting him, but that there literally is no relationship. And for years, I was wanting my father to be something he could never be outside of God saving him. You see, my father was and still can be very verbally abusive. So I am continuing to learn that in this fallen world, relationships are not always going to be how God intended, and that is okay. And that it's okay if everything in my life is not normal. It doesn't mean that I am not loved. It doesn't mean that I am not accepted by God, even though it is that way with my earthly father. And even though I am grieving this truth because it is still painful, it has caused me to run to God like never before. It has caused me to run to God like never before, to, uh, like never before, sorry, and learn of him. It has caused me to be even more thankful to God for a husband who loves God and that our children have a father who loves God. And no, he is not perfect, just like I am not, but he is able with God's help to love me and them. I do not want it to appear that I have totally overcome my struggle, which is great if God chooses to do so this side of heaven. I do still struggle, but God in his goodness has given me much victory, and I believe by his grace will continue to. Not every person is alike, and so not every story is alike. Some people may require medicine along with applying God's truth, and that is fine. This is just my story, my testimony of God's amazing grace. Thank you for allowing me to share. Well, you all know how much courage it takes to stand up and do that for the benefit of everyone else. So let's encourage our sister by thanking her for doing that for us. All right. Thanks so much. And you notice the litany of things that she went through that God used to help her. The good news for every one of us here is no matter what form of suffering we're going through, those forms of help are available to you. So her talking about what God has done through people that she's have come alongside her to counsel her, people who have been her support group, God's word, God's spirit, and depending on the situation, perhaps medication. Uh, all of those things are available to everyone here, so it should be a note of hope to everyone here. And so in the weeks ahead, we want to look at how God works in our misery to show us his mercy. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day and the opportunity to gather as your people and to worship you and to learn of you. We thank you, Lord, in this time that uh, we're able to look at this issue of suffering and pain caused by living in a fallen world. Lord, your word is uh, filled with stories of difficulty and, and, and suffering and trial and your reasons for it and your plans in it. So help us to avail ourselves of those promises and those truths and to apply them to our lives in the weeks ahead. 
Lord, we thank you for our sister Hope, and we thank you for the work that you have done in her life, and we ask you to continue to sanctify her through the things that have come into her path and that she's able to see from the light, uh, through the light of the gospel. And we pray that her testimony would be an encouragement to other brothers and sisters here, that they need not suffer alone, that pain is part of living in a fallen world, and that we have resources from you in your church, in your word, by your spirit, to help us to come out the backside of those difficult circumstances more Christ-like. We pray this week that you will help us to ponder those things and the situations that you have allowed us to enter in our lives, those that we have in our circle of influences, the, the circumstances that we have in our, in our jobs and in our families and in our neighborhoods. And then bring us back, we ask you, safely next Lord's Day. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.